You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Okay, so last week, I'm going to give you a quick recap. We started by talking about fuel, which is kind of a, it's, it's a model that we use for corporate worship, and it's an acronym, FUEL, uh, F-U-E-L, obviously, uh, F stands for faith. And so when we're worshiping, a lot of times the Lord begins to author faith in our hearts around something, and it's usually something about his nature. We're singing straight to him. We realize something great about him. Or, or it might even be something about us, like he, he just pours out some, some sort of indication of his affection on us, and we worship together, and it brings unity. We start singing that. So you'll you probably notice tonight that there were some spontaneous phrases that were kind of written and sung on the spot, and they sang them over and over because when we begin to sing them together, it brings uh, a whole new level of unity we're basically like magnifying that moment of faith with God and it releases encounter. There's been, just been so many times where we, we sing something a few times, but it's not until like the 10th, the 12th, the 20th time. It's like it, it sinks in. You're like, I know I sang this 20 times, but now I'm crying for some reason because he's releasing an encounter because he just loves the fact that we've come together in unity and we're singing something beautiful about his nature. And then the L stands for liberty, which freedom. Obviously, like when we, when we worship the Lord and he releases an encounter, it brings a whole new level of freedom, which is why you can see Ariel up here dancing all silly and you can see Casey up here with his face in the carpet. You can hear someone back there who's usually kind of timid shouting out, because there's a whole new level of freedom. It's for freedom that he set us free. And he just loves it when we get unhinged and just worship like kids. So that's the acronym, FUEL. Um, I also talked last week about how uh, a little bit of the history of worship and how when the Americas were settled, we didn't even really have instruments because on the cargo ships, I mean, cargo space was so precious. And so worship... And on top of that, they thought for some reason the instruments were of the devil. Uh, this is the, the Puritans and basically all New Englanders. When it came to worship of the Lord, they thought that musical instruments had no place uh, in praise. And they took a couple of verses completely out of context. One is in Amos where it says, I'm not going to hear the melody of your stringed instruments. And another one is out of Ephesians, which we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, where it says, make melody in your heart to the Lord. And so they took those two verses further than they were intended to be, applied, you know, a meaning out of their, you know, they just misapplied context. And so that's why there wasn't um, musical instruments in worship for a really long time. Um, And also, uh, back then, people just, they couldn't read. There were no songbooks. And so the the way they figured out how to do worship is called lining, where a deacon or an elder would come up and he would sing something about the Lord, and it's usually from a psalm, and then the church would echo back that line. And that w- constituted all of their worship. And it was, it was beautiful. I mean, it was a great place to start. I mean, they were still experiencing delight in the Lord. Um, but who's happy that it's not like that anymore? <laughs> I'm really glad that we 
corporately realized that God loves musical instruments <laughs> again, and we incorporated them into, into the church, and these guys over here, how they've spent years cultivating that gift of music to help facilitate a worship uh, in this room. Um, I'd still love to like be a fly on the wall in one of those old worship services. It'd be like if I just nailed like a main point of my sermon and I said something like, you know, it's time to reflect upon that and get it stuck in your head. Like, he is the great I am, now put it on Instagram. Like, <laughs> and that would, be, that would be the worship part of the evening. <laughs> Um, in the 1960s and 70s, um, in America, the Jesus People Movement, out of the, out of the hippie movement, brought musical instruments back into the church, um, and it was cutting edge. I grew up in a church in the 80s where we were the only church in town with a drum set, electric guitar, and people thought we were a cult. This is, this is in the mid-80s, guys. It wasn't long ago that most churches thought that if you had a band on stage, it was just whack, like it wasn't right. And um, that's how I grew up. Um, and last week, I wanted to make the point that um, in some ways, we've become so used to incredible music, so immersed in amazing music that it can become a crutch for us. And it makes it so that instead of us being able to worship with no beautiful sounds around us, we have to have beautiful sounds around us in, in order to worship. And that's just a point, for, I mean, I've been there. It's just a, a conversation to have with the Lord um, to get your heart right again. We talked about what biblical worship looked like. There's praise and thanksgiving. There's joyful songs, spiritual songs, dancing, shouting, lifting of hands, clapping, bowing, falling on your knees, even laying flat on your face, standing in awe, trembling. These are all things that were used in, in worship. Um, and there was no verse that said, shout for joy to the Lord, all you outgoing type A people who had enough caffeine. It's just sh like everybody raise a shout to the Lord, like all the congregation just celebrate, choose to celebrate. There's even verses where it says, or they, they knew where, like when this part of the song came up, it was time to wail. Could you imagine if I stood up here and said, okay, guys, it's wailing time. Begin the weeping, commence. <laughs> but that was like, that's how they, they, they worship the Lord because the Lord loved that kind of humble submission. It's engaging our will. It's looking past our emotions and it's praising the one who is worthy despite what our emotions tell us in the moment. So like, I didn't ask, I didn't ask Brett and Ariel and Amanda if they felt like worshiping tonight. No, they just know that that's, that's, their, that's their job. They're going to worship the Lord because he's worthy. They're going to get up here and praise their guts out and almost model what it looks like to, just to get crazy in the presence of God and tell him of his, of his goodness. But their worship is not your worship. Just like my spiritual life or this sermon is not your spiritual life. Like if we're relying on the worshipers to usher us into a moment with God, it's the same thing as thinking that like our, our pastor is the one who is creating a spiritual life for us. It's just silly, right? Um, that's not like a harsh rebuke 
to anyone in here. It's just the church in general. I just, I mean, it's just worldwide. Everybody's seen it. Okay, so I think that it would be baffling to ancient Israelites and early American settlers to hear some of our opinions on worship. Like, I just wasn't into worship tonight. They'd be like, was the deacon off key? Like, <laughs> what do you mean you weren't... Or, you know, if I sang those words, I wouldn't be being honest to my own heart. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, it's Yahweh. It doesn't matter how you feel in the moment. Just praise him because he's worthy. And really, when you begin to praise, your emotions start to line up with yeah. the truth. Okay. I've kicked that dead horse. Um, <clears throat> okay, so this is still a recap. I talked about how if I were to give my wife roses every day, she'd be really excited the first time, but, you know, a week in, she'd be like, why? why? Like, and, it, and it's kind of like that with the Lord. If we're, he loves when we sing to him a new song. He loves like when, yes, he, he loves hearing the, the old songs over and over and over, but there's something really special about bringing to the Lord a new song, which is why we love spontaneous worship. It's like the newest of the new. Like, it just like popped out of them like a burp. And we're just, <laughs> we're praising the Lord in this moment. He just released something new and he loves that stuff. Um, <laughs> this all falls in line with uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It says, when we, we come with a song. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, what then shall we say, brothers, when we gather... Oh, it's up there. Uh, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. Um, so we actually, we fully believe that. We believe, believe that there are people who have gifts of prophecy or words of knowledge or words of wisdom. When they come in, they release the words, and it builds up the body. We believe that up here and out there, there are spontaneous songs that we can bring to the table, and it edifies the whole church. It builds up the whole church. It just changes the, the whole spiritual atmosphere when we all bring something to the table like that. Okay, that's enough recap. Tonight, I want to talk about why we worship. If I commanded you to worship me and tell me of my greatness and glory... What would that say about my mental state as a man? Be like narcissistic, megalomaniac, insecure, definitely unsafe. If I'm saying like, hey, my, my love language is words of affirmation, so I just need, it's really hard to fill the love tank. I need everyone just to sing of my praises. <laughs> just... Tell me how amazing I am. Tell me of my glory. Tell me how worthy I am. Tell me how beautiful I am. Is that what God did when he said, worship me with all your heart? Like when, when he said, you worship the Lord and him only shall you serve? Is that, what, is that his intention, his motivation behind it? Does he need his love tank filled by us? No. And God doesn't have like this glory battery where his glory is like being slightly diminished because we've been stealing his glory 
And it's just getting lower and lower. And there has to come that time where it's like, all right, I need everybody to worship me because my glory battery needs to be refilled. Like, no, he has so much unending glory and power and love and wisdom that he even crowned us with his glory. You can't steal something that's already been given to you. He already gave you his glory. Like he crowned you with his nature, with his glory. Y'all are looking at me like cows at a new gate. <laughs> that's, that's an old Southern saying. Um, it's about delight. There's no more delightful experience than worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's kind of like how when Paul told married couples, don't abstain from sex unless it's like for a certain time <laughs> so that you, and, and then come back together so that you're not tempted. Now, is, is Paul giving, giving that warning so that to keep us from being tempted to want to have sex with our own spouse? No, wanting to have sex with your own spouse is a glorious thing. Like he's, he's saying, don't abstain from sex because you're going to be tempted to go after other lovers. In the same way, he's not necessarily commanding worship. He's saying, if you come to me, I will satisfy you in a way so that you don't look after other lovers. He knows that this is the absolute most joyful place for us to be in worship of him. And he also loves when we come to him in worship because it's like this moment where he can reciprocate love on us. Zephaniah 3 is one of my, my favorite passages. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. Anybody ever experienced this before? Yes. The Lord exalting over you with loud spinning. Some translations say he like spins, like he's dancing over us with loud spinning. And, we're, and when we're saying, God, you're beautiful. Oh, how we love you. He's singing back, Ryan Crowell, you're beautiful, and oh, how I love you. <laughs> He's rubber, and we're glue. Whatever we sing to him bounces off him and sticks to you. Like, he just loves to reciprocate that love back down upon us. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So we worship because it is delightful. Why else do we worship? Because when we worship as a body, it manifests his presence. We all love experiencing those moments where his presence seems undeniably tangible. Uh, those moments when you just feel like overwhelmed by his presence. And it's just a biblical truth that when believers gather together in unity, it brings a fuller manifestation and representation of him and our awareness of his presence is heightened. He never leaves us and never forsakes us, but there are different levels of experiencing him. 
Otherwise, there wouldn't be verses like Ephesians 5.18, where it says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul start out that verse by saying, don't get drunk with wine? And then go right into talking about instead be filled with the Spirit. Anybody ever cut, like, caught that before? It's because there is something about being filled with the Spirit that is akin to being drunk on wine. In the most pure, beautiful way, he has designed our spirits to be ignited in joy when we worship him with songs from the spirit, it even says to sing to one another. We just don't do this that much. I have never, I, I can't remember the last time I walked up to someone and sang a song of the spirit at them. You know what I mean? Like, but this is, this is a, like key for us. Like we can sing these songs of the spirit and be filled with joy that is better than being drunk with wine. Isn't that awesome? In fact, Ryan Crowell and I were talking about this uh, this week at a really weird juice joint. Um, <laughs> well, that's an inside joke that only Ryan will get. It was the weirdest fresh juice place I've ever been to. So anyway, we're talking about we're talking about this, and if you um, if you you know do an exhaustive read through the Old Testament, you'll you'll see that. Water is like this key thing for the people of God. They need water to pour out so that they don't die in the wilderness. There are so many times when like, uh, God providing uh, looks like water being poured out. In fact, the, the very first miracle uh, that happened with the Israelites after they left captivity is they came to the waters of Marah, and it said that the waters were bitter. They couldn't drink the waters. And so Moses knew by the spirit to throw a stick on the water and it turned sweet and everybody was rejoicing because they were finally able to drink good water. The very first miracle of Jesus is he finds perfectly good water and he turns it into wine. Because he said, hey, if you, if you drink of this cup, if you drink of me, this water, if you drink this cup of water, rivers of living water will flow from your belly. So we have all the water we need, don't we? Amen. We're no longer just living for sustenance. We're no longer just living for water to hydrate us. He's saying, I have come to reintroduce you to delight. The deepest delight that you can experience. Take all this water and turn it into wine. We manifest his presence when we uh, come together in agreement and worship. Matthew 18 talks about this. It says, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. This verse directly pertains to church discipline, um, but it's no less true that when we gather together in unity, it increases the expressed authority of God in that moment, the authority of Jesus. Psalm 22 actually says that God is enthroned on our praises on our praises, corporately. God is enthroned on our praises. Now, I know that this is also, like, it's poetic hyperbole. 
Um, because when we sang praises tonight, we didn't see a throne like <laughs> arrive. But there is so much spiritual truth to this. It is, it is poetic hyperbole, um, but it's very, very true that when we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, you start to feel his presence. You start to feel his authority in the room. James 4.8 tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. That's another thing where it's just, we're engaging. We are making the choice. He loves that. I mentioned this last week. We're, we're not Gnostics. We don't believe that there is some like, huge divide between the physical world and the, and the spiritual world. And, and by that, I mean like we, st- we still believe in eating bread and drinking wine and it has power. We still believe in putting oil on people's head and praying for them to, to be healed and seeing them get healed. We still believe that when we raise up holy hands, it changes the atmosphere. Amen? So it's not just that, that we can sit there in a chair say nothing, and just like be absorbed into the divine cognitive consciousness. No, like we literally, we engage with him. We tell him what we're thankful for. We remember his goodness. We shout to him because it releases things in the spirit. Hebrews 10 talks about worshiping together and not neglecting the assembly because it spurs us on to good works. And then it goes right into Hebrews 11, obviously, 11.6. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I want to encourage you guys. Um, the Lord's really happy with all of you. Uh, you came to church. <laughs> it's an offering. It, like, it costs you something to like, leave your couch on a Sunday and get in your car and drive here in honor of him. In worship of him, he loves it. He loves that you made the choice to get here, especially if you have kids. Like it costs you to get all your whole family here and come and worship the Lord. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Isn't this great news? We've been diligently seeking him, which means that there are rewards that he wants to pour out on us. We don't diligently seek him for the rewards. We diligently seek him because like he is amazing and he's revolutionized our life and our love and he's changed everything. And like we can't get enough of him, but while we're seeking him diligently, he pours out rewards and worship's part of that. It's not always easy to praise God. Sometimes you're praising him through tears. Do you know that praise actually needs a witness also? Technically, you can't praise God when you're alone. It's, it's uh, an affront to the meaning of the word. You can worship the Lord when you're alone. You can have those intimate moments of, of, of love exchanged between you and God, but praising needs a witness. It's us coming together. That's why whenever it says praise, it's like all you assembly, praise the Lord. All you saints, lift up your voice and praise him. Shout to the Lord. Like when you gather together, praise needs a witness because we're coming together as a body and saying, isn't he good? Do you remember how good he is? This is what he did in my life. What did he do in your life? And we, we praise him together. And that's what church is supposed to be. When we praise him, it, uh, it changes our circumstances One of my favorite verses is Psalm 34, verse 3, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What does it mean to magnify something? 
Does the thing actually get bigger? So we're not making God bigger, but it is completely changing our perception of him. He's getting bigger to us. When we come together and magnify the Lord, think of like all of us worshiping God together. It's like putting a giant magnifying lens above us in the spirit. And we're, we're looking up and we're seeing him in new ways. We're zooming in on aspects of his nature. Isn't that cool? When we worship the Lord, it produces fruit in our life. I'm going to come, I'm going to blaze through some of these why we worship. Um, when we worship the Lord, it can tear down prison walls. We know that from Acts 16. We know that from the walls of Jericho falling down. When we worship the Lord, uh, it's Isaiah 61, we get garments of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. How many of you guys have ever just chosen to worship the Lord in a moment when you felt awful and suddenly just you felt better? Yeah, all of us have been there. Like, we, we might walk into this room with a, with a spirit of depression, or we might have depression in our hearts when we walk into this room. But when we praise the Lord together, this garment of praise comes over us instead of depression. And we're probably all familiar with Second uh, Chronicles 20, where the singers were sent out in front of the army. And I would have loved to see this like you've, back here, you've got the whole army with all of their gear and weaponry and shields and stuff. And then up front is all the skinny, scrawny singers. They can't carry a sword, but they can carry a tune. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat is like, yeah, we're, we're going to send the worship team out against <laughs> in the battle. It's a really cool uh, section of scripture. It actually says, because they did that, the Lord set an ambush. And the entire enemy army was killed. They, they went out there and found them every single... It says, specifically, it says, every one of them were laying slain on the ground. Pretty crazy. When we worship, it aligns our thoughts to his. I, I actually believe that we can get things through singing that we could never get through thinking. When you sing something about the Lord... It's like it bypasses parts of our brain or something, and it just settles into like the reality that is now like part of our identity. And we would have never gotten there through just thinking about him. We got there through singing about him. When we sing the Lord, fears get smashed and our priorities get lined up. But the number one reason why we worship, because he is worthy of it. Yeah. <laughs> He gets all the credit, and it's great to remind everything in the spirit realm that he is Yahweh. He is king. He is king over Frisco. He's king over my family. He's king over my life. He's king over my thoughts. We sing to him because he is worthy. This is Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord God is great and, the, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his because he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Psalm 29, 2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Yeah. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. He's just worthy. And it feels amazing as his kids to step into that reality through song to him. We stepped into something really cool tonight when Ariel was singing her, her testimony. Um, in Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. I think this is, can be directly applied to worship. The enemy's been thrown down. He's been overcome by the blood of the lamb. But the word of our testimony is we're releasing these songs of praise. Like, look what he's done in my life. And they love not their lives unto death. That's, that, it goes back to just the humility. Like, it, it, it costs you something. It's a choice to worship the Lord when you don't feel like it. You're saying, this feels like death, but I'm going to worship you anyway. This is what the Trinity is up to. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just continually extolling one another, loving on one another, lavishing one another with their, their praise and their honor. And the Father is saying, you know, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And, the, and Jesus is saying, y'all think that I'm awesome? Wait until you meet Holy Spirit. He's the best. Like, it's better that I leave because you're going to get the Holy Ghost. And we, we, we get the Holy Spirit, and the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is actually called the Spirit of the Father, and he's called the Spirit of the Son. And the Holy Spirit is magne- helping us magnify our, perspe- our perspective of the Father and Son. He's pointing us to the glory. He's reminding us of the words of Jesus. This is the Trinity from before creation. They've been loving on each other. And when we step into worship, we're just joining in the party that's going on in the heavenlies. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so when we begin to sing, we're, we're literally joining the party that's going on in heaven. This is our ecstatic, joyful reality now that we get to adore him forever and ever. Would you stand with me? I want to pray and worship the Lord together.